Hello, I'm Roger Thomas. Welcome to Everyone Can Love Classical Music. This is a series of podcasts in which we hope to persuade more people to listen to classical music. The podcasts are easy to listen to and we avoid the stuffiness and elitism often associated with classical music. In this month's podcast, we look at the life of music of Giuseppe Verdi, arguably the greatest ever composer of operas. He had a wonderful facility of conveying drama and emotion in beautiful melodies, encompassing arias, duets, trios, quartets and large choruses. He composed over 25 operas, 10 of which are regularly performed throughout the world. They include his four blockbusters, La Traviata, Il Trovatore, Aida and Regaletto. Before we go any further, let's listen to perhaps Verdi's greatest hit tune, Va Pensiero. It's the Hebrew chorus from his first major success, Nabucco. This tune actually played a part in Italy becoming an independent country in the mid-1850s. The people clamouring for independence claimed this catchy tune as the anthem for Italian unification and it's been used ever since as a call to arms for the oppressed everywhere. Verdi's long life spanned the 19th century. He was born in 1813 in a small village called Puseto near Parma and he died in Milan in 1901. His parents were innkeepers, not poor, but definitely not from the upper classes. He was a pale, short, taciturn, moody and intense young man. As a young boy, he played the organ in the little church in Puseto. 
He was fortunate when, at the age of 12, he was befriended by a prosperous local, Antonio Barezzi, who was keen on classical music, and he took Verdi under his wing and encouraged him to learn composition and counterpoint. Barzetti became almost a second father to Verdi. Later, Verdi went on to marry Barezzi's daughter, Gita, and they had a son and a daughter. But sadly, this marriage came to a tragic end. Verdi settled down in Passetto, became director of music, giving lessons and conducting concerts, but at the same time composing operas, initially with very little success. Let's jump ahead to perhaps his most famous opera, La Traviata. The heroine of the opera is Violetta, a courtesan living in Paris. At the start of the opera there's a party, and a young man, Alfredo, arrives from the south of France. He falls immediately in love with Violetta. Un di felice Violetta sings of her joyful life in this tour de force of an aria. Oh, <laughs> 
Violetta and Alfredo have moved to the countryside, but their idyllic life is interrupted by the arrival of Alfredo's father, Gemont, who has come to Paris to tell Violetta she must leave Alfredo, as back home the relationship is seen as scandalous and is harming the marriage prospects of Alfredo's sister. The heart of the opera consists of a long interplay between Violetta and Gemont, as he tries to persuade her to end her affair with Alfredo. He succeeds at last. Violetta decides to return to Paris, but as she is leaving, Alfredo arrives and begs her not to go. She says she must end their relationship, but tells him she will love him forever. Surely in all music there has never been such an ardent and moving declaration of love. Alfredo, 
Violette has returned to Paris and picked up her old carefree life. But sadly, she becomes very seriously ill. Alfredo and Germont rush to her bedside, but it's too late. Soloists in La Traviata were Victoria de Los Angeles, Carlo del Monte, and Mario Sereni. Verdi suffered his own tragedies. His daughter died aged only 40 months, and some years later, both his wife and his son died within a few months of each other. Verdi's first opera was called Oberto. It was premiered at La Scala, but was not a success. 
He continued composing. His second opera, Angiorno di Regno, failed, but success arrived in Nabucco, which had a triumphal premiere at La Scala and was soon being performed throughout Europe and America. The soprano on the first night of Nabucco was Giuseppina Stepponi. She was later to become Verdi's longtime mistress and eventually his second wife. Verdi was now being seen as the leading Italian composer of opera. Bellini was dead, Rossini had retired, and Donizetti was in an asylum. It was in the 1850s that Verdi had his golden period, composing La Traviata, Regoletto, and Il Trovatore. Il Trovatore is full of wonderful music and drama, and of course it ends tragically. In the opera, Count de Luna is obsessed with Leonora, a young noblewoman. She does not return his love. She is infatuated with Manrico, Il Trovatore, the troubadour. The fourth protagonist in the opera is Ajusena, a gypsy. Her mother was condemned as a witch and burned at the stake. In revenge, Ajusena sees the Count's baby brother and disappears with the baby. Early in the opera, the Count de Luna finds Manrico and Leonora together. The two men end up fighting a duel, and for some reason Manrico does not take his chance to kill the Count.
In the gypsy camp, Azucena tells of her mother's death. She's joined by Manrico, who believes, mistakenly, that Azucena is his mother. Later in the opera, Manrico is captured by the Count and held in prison. Leonora sings to him outside the castle walls. Oh! <laughs> 
In the final scene, Leonora, Manrico and Ajusena are awaiting their executions in the prison. Ajusena is sleeping. The Count orders Manrico to be killed. Ajusena awakes, sees the dead body of Manrico and then tells the Count the terrible news that he has killed his own brother.
The soprano in Il Trovatore was Maria Callas, the tenor Giuseppe Di Stefano. Rigoletto is always in the lists of the top ten operas. In the opera, Rigoletto is a jester in the court of the Duke of Mantua. Count Monteroni appears at court, furious that the Duke has seduced his daughter. Rigoletto ridicules him, and Monteroni casts an awful curse on Rigoletto. He tries to laugh it off, but deep inside he is scared. Duke of Mantua sings of the fickleness of women in this famous aria, La Donna Immobile. Rigoletto has a daughter, Gilda, who he keeps hidden away. 
she has seen the Duke of Mantua in church and has fallen in love with him. Courtiers think that Gilda is Rigoletto's mistress. They kidnap her and deliver her to the Duke, who makes love to her. When Gilda is returned to Rigoletto, he is frantic and vows to kill the Duke. He engages the services of an assassin, Sparafatula, whose own sister is also in love with the Duke. In this famous quartet, the Duke, Gilda, Sparafatula, and his sister sing of their own plans for the future. Oh! <laughs> 
Sparafachula agrees to kill the Duke. Gilda vows to save him and goes to the inn in his place, dressed as a man. Sparafachula stabs Gilda. He wraps her body in a blanket and hands it over to Rigoletto. Rigoletto is overjoyed that the Duke has been killed, but when he opens the bundle, he is mortified to realise that it is Gilda who has been killed, not the Duke. Gilda dies in his arms. singers there were Joan Sutherland and Cheryl Milnes. Verdi was very demanding of his singers. For example, for the first act duet of Macbeth, he had over 150 rehearsals. Unlike most composers, Verdi was a shrewd businessman, demanding and getting big money from the opera houses. His wealth enabled him to retire in 1845. He bought a palazzo in Pozzetto and later a country house and farm where he spent much of his life. 
Vedi pursued his love for the soprano Pepina Stepponi. When she was a very young singer, she was badly in need of money. She took on too many assignments and she strained her voice. As a result, aged only 31, she had to retire. Vedi came to her aid, helping her to set up a singing school in Paris. Vedi spent time with her in Paris and one day wrote her a love letter, which he sealed. It's never been opened to this day. After a short while, Vedi and his mistress Pepina returned to his estate in Busetto. However, the locals were not impressed with Verdi living with his lover, and they went out of their way to avoid Pepina. And then Verdi basically retired, using his time to successfully develop the farm and the estate. After living together for another 11 years, they eventually married in 1859. They adopted the orphan child of one of Verdi's cousins, from whom his heirs are descended. In 1869, Verdi was persuaded to return to La Scala to conduct a production of Don Carlo with a young soprano, Teresa Stoltz. More of her later. In November of that year, the Suez Canal was opened and Verdi was asked to write a new work to celebrate the opening. This was Aida. Aida is an Ethiopian slave in the service of Amneris, princess of Egypt. Radames, a soldier, is in love with Aida.
However, Amneris is also in love with Radames, but he does not return her love. Radames is appointed as Egyptian commander-in-chief, and in this great chorus leads everyone in demanding revenge on the Ethiopians. soldiers are taken to Egypt as prisoners of war. Among them is Amanasro, who is Aida's father. Amanasro persuades Aida to leave Egypt with Radames. She does so, and Radames, unwittingly, tells her the safest way to escape, but they are overheard, and Radames is branded a traitor. Radames is tried by the priests for his treachery. Amneris pleads for his life, but to no avail.
Radames is sentenced to death by being buried alive in a cave. Aida succeeds in joining him in the cave, and they die together singing this gorgeous duet.
Radamas was sung by my all-time favourite tenor, Carlo Bagonzi. Aida was sung by Renata Tibaldi. Verdi's Requiem is his only non-operatic work that has achieved success. It was written in 1874 in honour of Alexandro Manzoni, a great man of Italian literature. We'll hear three extracts, the Dies Irae, the Lacrimosa and the Rex Tremendae.
The conductor on that recording of Verdi's Requiem was Antonio Papano with the Orchestra dell'Accademia Nazionale di Santa Cecilia. By this time, Verdi's marriage to Peppina was in trouble. He was fed up with his matronly middle-aged wife. The soprano Teresa Stoltz, who Verdi had conducted at La Scala, in 1881 paid a visit to Verdi's home to study Aida. A relationship developed even though she was 20 years younger than Verdi. A menage a trois ensued, much to the disgust of the local villages of Bisseto. Verdi was eventually persuaded to compose operas again after almost 40 years of retirement. He produced two more masterpieces, Otello in 1887 and Falstaff in 1893, when Verdi was at the grand old age of 80. Verdi's last two works are different from his earlier operas. They are more complex and reflect a new way of writing opera. Let's listen to three extracts from Otello. Firstly, the love scene between Desdemona and Otello. And now Desdemona, fearing for her life because of the jealous rages of Otello, sings the lovely Ave Maria. 
Otello has killed Desdemona, and in this final scene of the opera, bitterly regrets how his jealous temper has led him to kill his wife. Otello was sung by Placido Domingo and Desdemona by Shadow Studer. Verdi is now in his 80s and his health is deteriorating. In 1883 he had a stroke. Peppina also had health problems and in 1897 she died from bronchitis. Verdi moved from his estate in Brasetto and moved into the Grand Hotel in Milan. Stoltz was his companion. In January 1901, following another stroke, he died. 200,000 people lined the streets for his funeral, many of them singing Va Pensiero. In this podcast, we haven't had sufficient time to listen to Verdi's other wonderful operas. They are enjoyable and very easy to listen to. 
They include A Force of Destiny, Simon Bocanegra, Stefilio, Nabucco, Idio Foscari, Enani, Don Carlo, Amas Ball, E. Masnadieri, Luisa Miller and the Sicilian Vespers. I do hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Thanks for listening. Our next month's podcast will be on the father of classical music, Johann Sebastian Bach. Thank you and goodbye.